So you would think that after only two weeks of not preaching, I would still know how to say Samaritan. That's what happens when you take off, right? Uh, it's good to be back here. It's good to be with you and, and to share with you this morning. This, earlier this week, I was having a dream that I was in the desert and that I was thirsty for water. It was so real that my, my mouth was dry, my nostrils were dry. I, I, have you ever had those dreams that just seem like they're really happening? That's what I was going through earlier this week. I was like, ah, ah, I just felt like I needed a, a, a bottle of water. I needed some water to drink, and I couldn't understand why. I physically felt like that because it was a dream, and I was walking through a desert. And then shortly after that, I woke up, and my mouth was dry. And my nostrils were dry. I couldn't, I, could, I couldn't imagine how that happened. And then I looked over at my lampstand, and my CPAP machine was out of water. <laughs> so, so I was indeed dry. I was definitely dry. It wasn't, it wasn't just a dream. It was reality in my, yes, I wear a CPAP machine when I go to sleep. I look like a fighter pilot. Sound like Darth Vader. Anyway, I was thirsty. And we are thirsty people. We thirst. There was an article that I read in the National Library of Medicine that in 2011, the article says, global bottled water consumption was approximately 232 billion liters, which is roughly 61 billion gallons. And it's estimated to increase to 513 billion liters, or 137 billion gallons, by 2025. That's a lot of water. A lot of bottled water. And that's just bottled water. That's not, that doesn't take into account bottled and non-bottled drinks that aren't water. It, it, it's evident that we are thirsty. And the reality is, is that we know that water is good for us, right? My wife tells me that all the time, drink more water, drink more water. Water is good for us. It's a good thing. It's good for our health. It's even been said that humans can go nine days without food, but only three days without water. So it's been said. Water is one of the most critical needs of human existence. It's right up there with air. And that's one of the reasons that droughts are such serious issues. That's why we don't mess around with, with, with droughts. We, we, we know how dangerous they can be. We are thirsty people. Which makes it a little easier for me to understand the reaction of the people of Israel in the passage that Chris read from Exodus 17. They're upset. 
knowing a little bit of the Exodus story might lead us to believe that this is just another whining example of an ungrateful people. That's where I would have typically gone. They're just whining again. But when the matter comes to water, it becomes evident that the matter, or that this is a matter of life and death for this wandering nation. Now just as a reminder, Moses has liberated the Hebrew people of God from slavery in Egypt. And now they're traveling in the desert in search of the land filled with milk and honey that Jehovah God has promised them. They've left Egypt as a nation. They've wandered into the desert to get to the promised land. They've taken all their possessions. They've taken uh, their food, their shelter. Uh, they've taken everything they could possibly take. And I'm sure they've taken as much water as they can take. But we're talking about an entire nation of people. Now I know that when my family and I go on trips, whether it's to the coast or anywhere else, we take a couple of cases of water with us. But how can you pack enough water for an entire nation for 40 years? Here's the answer. You can't. There's no way you can carry that much water with you. So the fact that they are wandering in the desert is no wonder that the lack of potable water would be an issue for them. They're thirsty. And so they're just not whining again because they, they've got a reputation for being whiners, right? Every time something doesn't go their way, they complain and they whine. The fact that they're, that they're complaining about no water is serious. It's a matter of life and death at this point. They're traveling in a very dry place. And so now they begin to panic. There's no more water. All the water that they brought with them is now gone. There's no place to find water because, again, they're in the desert. Have you been to the desert? There's no water. So they begin to panic. And verse 2 tells us that the people begin to quarrel or argue with Moses. Give us water to drink. Give me water. Now the English translation records this as a complaint, as an argument. But the words used in Hebrew, or the word used in Hebrew, is rib. R-I-B, rib, which, is, which means in Hebrew to file a complaint. They're angry. And so in other words, they're not just saying, give us water. They're, they're looking at Moses because of their thirst. They're calling for Moses' impeachment. Give us water or get out. Give us water or we're going to stone you. We'll replace you. That's how serious it was. It says if they are giving Moses an ultimatum, give us water or die. 
Now Moses, being Moses, begins to argue back. Why are you yelling at me? Why are you testing God? In other words, what Moses is saying is by challenging me, you are challenging God. How dare you distrust the one who rescued you from slavery? Moses is believing that they are complaining or whining again about something insignificant or about not having enough faith or about not trusting God fully. And so he begins to argue back. And the people respond to him by saying, you call this a rescue? You brought us here to die? Along with our children and our animals too? This is why God saved us, to bring us into the desert, to to have us die of thirst? And Moses realizes, oh, oh, this is serious. This is not just a whiny complaint. He realizes he's in deep trouble. And so he calls out to God, help! These people are ready to stone me. Is what we read. And then the God of the Hebrew Scriptures responds with amazing tolerance, with amazing love, and amazing grace. He realizes and sees how panicked and afraid his people are. And instead of responding like Moses, how dare you? God responds with tolerance and love. I remember way back when Diane and I were living in Austin with our four kids. I was in seminary at the time and she was attending Texas State and she was commuting from Austin to San Marcos. On her way back from, from San Marcos, she'd get off at 35, uh, I guess it's 31st Street, 31st and Dean, Car- and Dean Keaton. And, um, and there would be a large contingent of people on those street corners um, panhandling and so one day Diane comes in and she says you know I see all, the, all these people on the streets and, and, and I feel that I need to do something and so she begins to take what limited resources we have because we're both in school full time we have four kids and working part time and she takes from our limited resources and begins to, to create blessing bags that's filled with water and some snacks and, and a Bible verse and, and decides that as she comes to that intersection, she's going to give them out. And so she starts doing this and, and uh, it's going well. And then one day she comes home and she's in tears. And I said, what's wrong? She says... 
I just had a man at the, at the, at the intersection. I, I handed him the bag and he, I asked him if he want, would like one. And he looked at it and he threw it on the ground and said, I don't want this crap. And she said, that just struck me in such a hard way. Because she knew it was coming from limited resources. And my response was, Okay, you know I'm from the barrio, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to change my, what my response was, right? My response was, well, we just won't give them any more of our resources. Darn it. <laughs> that wasn't my barrio response, but that was, that was the gist of it, right? I was like, yeah, forget it, man. Jeez. Forget, we don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. But thank God, Diane is much more compassionate, much more tolerant, and much more loving than I was back then. And she says, no, we need to understand that he's living a hard life and, and he's frustrated. And, and, and so she continued to do it. Whereas I would have pulled the plug on that sucker. I said, we're done. Sometimes we do kindness for someone and feel that that individual was not properly grateful, which makes us less likely to help the next time around. But in this passage, we see how God, or this passage helps me see how God puts up with complaints and reactions when people's basic needs aren't being met. When Jesus calls us to give drink to the thirsty, what he's actually saying is give drink to the thirsty regardless of how they will respond. In this story, God stands before Moses. And typically it's the other way around. It's Moses standing before God. God stands before Moses to show him where to find water. And God delivers life-giving water to the wandering nation. God hears their complaint. God sees their their panic, their anxiety, their fear over this. And he doesn't hold They're complaining against them. God responds with compassion and tolerance. Much like my beautiful bride. This passage teaches us that God always provides. God provides not because of the worthiness of the recipient, but because of the holiness of of the giver. Secondly, as those who are called to represent God, how we respond to human need reflects not just on us, but on the God we proclaim. Our response is not just in the meeting of the need, but in the meeting of the need with grace and love. 
My hope is that this passage serves as a subtle reminder of our own human need. We too are thirsty. Now we forget because we have what it takes to quench our thirst. We forget we are only a few days away from dying of thirst. We forget that God has provided and is up to us to be good stewards of what God provides. And worst of all, because we can drink, we forget that there are many in this world who daily die of thirst. We forget that we are all one family. And we are all thirsty. We all have our thirsty days. I had mine just a few days ago. Started in a dream. But even Jesus had them. And John 4 reveals that. But for Jesus, a thirsty day was an opportunity rather than a terror. It was an opportunity to give out of his abundance rather than a panic to fill an emptiness. The woman at the well, the Samaritan, see I can pronounce it, the Samaritan represents all of us. She was a flesh and blood person who Jesus came to save, like us. Her need is our need. Her thirst is our thirst. Her fears are our fears. And Jesus breaks down the barriers that have been set up to keep him from this woman. Jews and Samaritans did not intermingle, especially Jewish men and Samaritan women. That was a no-no. But he breaks down. He breaks down the barriers that have been set up to keep him from this woman. And so the scandal of this story is that Jesus would even talk to this woman, let alone want to save and love her. Jesus sees her. He truly sees her and tells her, I can help you with your thirst just as easily as you can help me with mine. And like her, he meets us in our shared needs. Give me this water, she responds. And while she may not have completely understood what Jesus was offering, she did know that this compassionate and caring man was offering something that she needed and wanted. And she leans into that. Give me this water so that I will never thirst again. So that I will never have to feel empty and incomplete again. Give me this water. What about us? 
how will we respond to Jesus' offer of living water? My prayer is that we will all say yes to the living water that Jesus gives that bubbles forth as a spring leading to eternal life. My hope is that each one of us will stretch out our hands, our hearts, to receive this water because we're all thirsty. Give me this water, Lord Jesus. Give me this water. Give me this living water.